This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, please visit celebrationchurch.cc. Last week, we started a series called Game Changers. And uh, I know Randy was here speaking. Uh, I happen to be in Fresno. Don't feel left out, Madeira. Uh, We'll be coming for you shortly. Um, But I got to speak this message, and today we're going to continue that. And I'm excited about it because a game changer is this. Defined, it means a newly introduced element or factor that changes an existing situation or activity in a significant way. It means those moments in our lives that redefine an outcome. Or it's something that changed everything. I know most of you have heard the uh, story that my husband tells about us meeting. And uh, how we met at a church youth camp. So now I'm going to set the record straight and tell the true story of what happened. Because there's his way of telling the story and then there's the right way of telling the story. So he tells this story that we met at a church youth camp and that's true. We did meet at a church youth camp. He talked about how uh, his cousin came up to us and said, uh, my cousin wants to talk to you. He likes you. And he came up to me and said, you know, my cousin likes you. And he wants to, you know, anyway, we ended up meeting on this basketball court. And that's true. He says the first thing he ever asked me was if I had a dog. And that's sadly true. That is what he said. That is a true story. But then he goes on to say how, you know, I fell in love with him and chased him and all this other stuff. Okay. And then he gets to the end and he says that there was a life changing, game changing moment when I married him, that I was dating a turkey farmer, which I kind of was. But there's nothing, and there was nothing wrong with the turkey farmer, but he says that he rescued me from the life of being a turkey farmer, a turkey ranch, you know, marrying a turkey farmer and living my life on a turkey ranch. And um, I told him in response to that, because he tells that story in, all the time and, you know, thinks it's so right. I told him, I said, had I married the turkey farmer, that turkey farmer would have become a preacher. I don't know what would have happened to you. So... Next time, that is the true story. That is the rest of the accurate story that he tells. So next time he goes to tell that story, you know how it really ends. And you can sit there like I do on the front row when he says all those crazy things about me. And I just sit and smile. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because I know I'll have my turn one day to set the record straight. So those, but it was a life-changing moment, I got to say, when I met him and we married. Life-changing moments, game changers. And today we're gonna continue talking about game changers. You know, I find a lot of times that we live our life by default. We just live life as it comes. Wherever life leads us, we go. And we don't think that we have the ability to change anything. We just take it as it comes, and this is just my lot in life. This is just what I've been given. We don't realize how much power we do hold with the decisions that we make. We're kind of like that ride at Disneyland when you're a little kid, the car's little car ride, where you get in and it's on a track. But as a little kid, you get in and you push the pedal, and you think you're driving but that little track is taking you. I mean, there's parameters on that track. It won't let you get outside the boundary. So you push the pedal as hard as you can and you find yourself just going in the same loop over and over and over thinking you're going somewhere cool and different. I think a lot of times we live our life like that. 
We live our life pushing the pedal to the metal. We're going somewhere, but we find ourselves going the same path over and over again. And we get so frustrated because we're doing the same things, but we're expecting something different to happen. And it's not until we start making some on purpose decisions that there become changes in our life. And there's some on purpose things we can do that become game changers can change the outcome of everything that we face. I know last week we read this scripture in uh, Proverbs chapter three. It says this, it says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and good name in the sight of God and man. And I know Randy talked about the faithfulness part, how when you're a faithful man, you're a faithful person, it's a game changer. You see things change in your life. Today we're gonna talk about love and how love is a game changer. You know, in the world that we live in, so much negativity all the time. You can turn on the news, you can go on your social media. Man, you can just be at Starbucks hanging out and you can hear, man, the judgment that's being thrown around, the negativity that's happening, the conflict that's happening. We just see all of that in our life. We see haters hating. We all have people in our life like that, right? No matter what good is happening in our lives, no matter how much we put ourselves out there and how many pictures we take of ourselves, nobody, they don't, there's a certain people, they just refuse to press the like button, right? You can have the best things happening in your life. Man, you buy a new car and it's decked out. Man, it's fully loaded, but they, they somehow find that you're missing heated seats and they point that out to you. Why? Because haters are gonna hate right? Hashtag haters going to hate. But this is what I also find to be sadly true. I find myself on the opposite end. I find myself as the hater. Oh, I don't want to say I'm a hater, but I do find myself scrolling through some things, right? And you see that old boyfriend that from, you know, when you were a freshman in high school, you see that they're married to this really cute wife And he's got like this beautiful family and he's got this white picket fence and this wonderful looking house. And I ain't pushing the like button. Heck no. I'm not going to give them the satisfaction of even knowing I was looking, knowing I was following. Why? Because haters are going to hate. And in this world, we have so much of that going on. People hating. Haters are going to hate. But what are you going to do? That's my question to you this morning. Haters are going to hate, but what are you going to do? Now I know the right answer is I'm going to love, right? We're lovers, not haters. And I'd like to say that I'm always on that, that, that end of the spectrum, that I'm a lover, not a hater. We throw that word love around so much. I love chocolate. I love your shoes, man. I love the way you're doing your hair. I love my kids. I really love my grandkids. I love my husband. I love flaming Hot Cheetos. Now, hopefully, I don't love my husband in the same way I have love flaming Hot Cheetos, right? Although my husband is a flaming Hot Cheeto. <laughs> but we throw that word love around a lot. And when we say, I love this, or I love that, or I love, what we're saying is I have a deep affection for, that I like it a lot that I'm really fond of that. But when the Bible talks about love, it has a way different meaning. It has a meaning that we don't fully understand. So hopefully today we'll leave this place knowing 
what love is and that we're not going to be haters. We're going to be lovers truly like God says to. So when the Bible talks about love, it talks about a love that we're not super familiar with. The Bible talks about a few different words that, that, that mean love. And one of them is phileo, not like filet of fish at McDonald's, but like P-H-I-L-E-O. It's a phileo love. It's a love. It's a brotherly love. It's a friend love. It's a family love. It's the love that we're probably most familiar with. There's another Greek word for, for love and it's eros, E-R-O-S. That has more of a sexual connotation to it, which isn't always bad if you're married. Let me say that again. It's not bad if you're married, that eros word love. But then there's a word that, man, we look at sometimes and we think it's like passive and, and soft and uh, insignificant and not very strong. And it's kind of a weak love. We tend to think. And it's the word we're talking about today. And it's the word agape love, A-G-A-P-E. It sounds sweet, sounds soft. Sound like it should be the name of a, of a Christian band or, you know, a Christian radio station or a Bible bookstore. It just doesn't seem like this strong love. But the truth is it's the strongest, the highest, the most selfless, most powerful, most aggressive, most binding, most committed, most supreme, most faithful, never-ending force there is. This God agape love. God sent his perfect sinless son, Jesus, to this earth to live and die a cruel death while we were living in our most perverted godless state because he loves us with this kind of love. Agape is a love where one is willing to die. Agape is a love where one is willing to die for another. Even if that person is unworthy, sinful, undeserving, and is an enemy of the one who died for them. Jesus didn't come to this world to be a hashtag hater. Jesus came to love. And what's so powerful in John chapter 15, verse number 12, he says this, I want you to love each other in the same way that I loved you. And if you read through the New Testament, you'll see that Jesus loved those who were annoying He loved those who were loud. He loved those who were, um, who, who were very, um, brazen and, and, uh, those who opposed him. He loved those that betrayed him. He didn't just love them. He loved them with that love that he was willing to die for them. And Jesus is saying, I want you to love people. Like I have loved you. I know it gets a little quiet because the light starts, you know, it's, it's out here. And then all of a sudden it focuses inward. But I'm telling you something that love operating in love, it's a game changer. And if you're tired of living your life on that track, going round and around and around living so frustrated, man at work, frustrated in your marriage, frustrated on your job, frustrated when you're dealing with your children, you find yourself living in such a frustrated state. Nothing ever changing. I'm telling you, love is a game changer. Love is a life changer. When we learn to apply the love of God to our life, we'll start seeing things change. When we choose to love, it's a game changer. It'll significantly change the current situation. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when I started studying this whole thing about love and Jesus saying, I want you to love like I loved, I'm thinking, ah, you don't know the people I live with, right? <laughs> you don't know the people I work with. You don't know. Do you know my kids? Come on now. I, we think that this is just so impossible. How can I do that? It's impossible to love like Jesus. But the truth is, the Bible says that when we received Christ, we received love. In 1 John 4, 8, it says that God is love. God is love. God is this agape, selfless, most powerful, aggressive love. In Romans 5, 5, it says that our hearts are full of the love of God through the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. In fact, when, as believers in Christ Jesus, when we opened up our heart and received Christ in, we received God in. When we received God and we received the powerful force of love on the inside. So one of our superpowers then as believers is the ability or empowerment to love. We all love superheroes, right? Superhero movies. Yeah, and I'm sure you all have your favorite ones. But when you go to the movies and you watch these superheroes, you realize that they all have a special ability, a special power that sets them or gives them the edge or becomes a game changer in any opposition they encounter. You see Wonder Woman who has her, you know, lasso of truth and it's a game changer. Her her little uh, metal wrist cuffs, game changer. Spider-Man, his web, game changer. Thor, his good looks and his hammer. That's what I meant. His hammer, his hammer is a game changer, right? So as a believer, as a believer, it's your ability to tap into the power or the empowerment of love on the inside of you that becomes a game changer. It's your superpower. This world doesn't know what it's contending with when you walk into a room. Because you walk into a room of chaos, you walk into a room of of strife, you can walk into a room of offense and of judgment being thrown around, but you can walk in that room, tap into the superpower on the inside of you, that super ability, that empowerment to love, and you can defeat anything that's coming at you with the powerful force of love that lives on the inside of you. As a believer, it's our superpower. In fact, in 1 John chapter 4, it says it like this. In the message translation, it says, My beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. So you can't know him if you don't love He says, this is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. This is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that once upon a time, not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. He says, my dear friends, If God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. No one has seen God ever, but if we love one another, God dwells deeply within us and his love becomes complete in us. Perfect. Perfect love. We though, we're going to love, love and be loved. First, we were loved. Now we love. He loved us first. Goes on to say, if anyone boasts, I love God and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he's a liar. 
If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God that he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You have got to love both. Now, everybody take a deep breath in, deep breath out. I know this gets pretty personal. I mean, in studying it, man, it, it, it hit me. That I can't go around saying, I love God, I'm a believer, I love God, and then not love the people around me. That I can't say, I love God, I love God, and love those who are annoying me. (laughs) I love God, I love God, and then not really love my husband or my kids. I love God, I love God, and not love the people I'm working with. But it's a game changer. I like it because it says, first we are loved. And now we love. I think a lot of times we struggle really with this whole concept of loving people, first of all, because we really don't understand how much we are loved. That how much God loves us. That God loves us no matter what. Yeah, but I was drunk last night. God loves you no matter what. Yeah, but I have a history of just perverted lifestyle. God loves you no matter what. Yeah, but I don't fit in to any of the social circles that I'm around. God loves you no matter what. Yeah, but I've been told I was a misfit. God loves you no matter what. God loves you. His love for you is deep no matter what. We're so conditioned with this phileo love or I love you if you love me or I love you as long as you fit into my box, but that's not the way God loves us. See, Paul so knew this that when he was writing to the church of Ephesians, he told them, he said, this is my prayer for you. Because you got to know how much God loves you. He says, this is my prayer for you. He says, I pray that Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust him. I pray that your roots will grow deep down into God's love and keep you strong. I pray that you would have the power to understand as all God's people should. How wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. He says, I pray that you may experience the love of Christ. Though it's too great to even understand with your natural mind fully says, then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. So God loves me. God loves you. Now we can, in response to that love, love other people. I have to know first though, that God loves me. And that's my prayer for all of us this morning is that we would so experience God's love. We will never understand it up here but you can feel it right here. You can know it right here. And that's my prayer for us this morning is that we would know so deeply how much God loves us. And if God loves us as dysfunctional as we are, then we surely can love another human in their dysfunction because he loves, we love, you know? Yeah, it's a good place. We as the church, we say this all the time here at Celebration, that we as the church are the hope of the world. We as Celebration Church, but you also are the church. You as the church are the hope of the world. We give people the opportunity to see Jesus and to receive Jesus here at Celebration Church and you on your job. When you walk in your job as a believer in Christ Jesus, you are the church walking into your job. You give people the opportunity to see Jesus and receive Jesus. In your home, in your family, you give people the opportunity to see Jesus and to receive Jesus. At school, you give people the opportunity to see Jesus and to receive Jesus. 
at Starbucks, at IHOP, at Chipotle. You give people the opportunity to see Jesus and receive Jesus. And as the church, we are the hope of the world. But a lot of times I think we as the church are preaching Jesus from the wrong place. Oh, we talk about how God loves. We talk about how God accepts. We talk about how God forgives, but we don't practice it. We don't really do it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's talking about the church. And he's talking about how everybody is gifted in the body of Christ to do something. That we all have talents and abilities that we're to use to build the kingdom of God. Some of us are, are, not me, some of us, some of you are gifted with the gift of hospitality, meaning you open your home, people come in, you make them, you know, food or, or, you know, some big chocolate cake or something, and they leave your house feeling so like loved and cared for. Then there's other people, you know, I'm saying I don't have the gift of hospitality because all I, I mean, anything I cook, If it doesn't come out of a box, it's not made for one thing. Okay, so I do know that there's gifts and talents in each one of you. That's why our dream team, I love our dream team here at Celebration Church, because you are using your gifts to build the kingdom. But there's something powerful about a gifted person. Some of you stand at the door, you're a greeter, you smile and people feel loved. Man, I just love that greeter. She smiled and she just touched my heart. And then some of you who aren't gifted with that, you smile and people are like, creepy, scary, you know, it's because some people are just gifted. And so Paul's talking to the church and he's like, man, y'all are amazing. You're each using your individual gifts to build the church and to meet people's needs. And that's awesome. I think it's great. He's like, it's a powerful thing. But then he goes on to talk about that. There's more than just your gift that's needed. It's not just about being gifted to do something. He writes to them in first Corinthians chapter 12, 31. He says, you should desire earnestly the most helpful gifts. That's awesome. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. We're going to read what he goes on to say. He starts talking about love in first Corinthians 13, verse number one. He says, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all God's secret plans, possessed all knowledge. If I had such faith that I can remove mountains but I didn't love others, I'd be nothing. He says, if I gave everything I had to the poor, if I even offered my body or sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. What he was saying is your gift is awesome. What you do to build the kingdom of God and to meet the needs of people, it's amazing. It truly is awesome. He says, but if it's not empowered by love, it's just harmful and annoying. I think a lot of times us as the church at large in our nation, a lot of times we have the right answers. We have the right answers. We have the truth. A lot of times we have the scriptures to back it up. We have prophetic insight to things, but we come at it all wrong and it's not empowered by love. So it's brought division and been unfruitful and even offensive. We're not truly reflecting the love of Christ. We spend most of our time trying to get people to think like us, to see things like we do, to fit into our box, to believe like us. So we fight and our fight so much of the time with relationships in our life is to get people to think like us. My husband, he has to think like me. 
We can't even agree which way the toilet paper roll should go. And that's after 35 years of marriage. I find it so funny how God takes two opposite people, somehow puts an attraction in them to each other. And then they get married, make this covenant and a vow till death do them part. And then stands back and watch the fight begin. Right? The struggle for will and the struggle for ways. This is what I have learned. You know, when, when people newly get married around here, I, I stand back and I almost, I hate to say this, but I almost feel sorry for them <laughs> because I think I know that I understand the struggle because what happens is what has attracted you to them is also the thing that's going to annoy the heck out of you because what, I mean, you're dating this guy, right? And he's so funny and so playful and, and makes everything so fun until you marry him. And then once you marry him, it's like, you're such a kid. Can you not be serious for one minute and make a grown up decision? Right. Or you look at her and you know, she planned all the dates and that's awesome. Took the pressure off you. You know, she's the one who organized stuff and structured stuff. And you're so excited about that. But it's the same person after you get married. They're like, get your butt off the couch and go to work. Like pick your underwear up off the floor and put them somewhere. I didn't marry my mom. Well, not kind of. (laughs) Because what attracts you to the person is the same thing that's going to irritate the heck out of you. But this is why God did it that way. Because your strengths and your weaknesses together provide something powerful together for the kingdom of God. Something powerful together. But we spend most of our time trying to get somebody to think like us. And that's where our biggest struggle comes. But this is what Colossians chapter 3 says. It says, God has chosen you and made you his holy people. He loves you. So always do these things. Show mercy to others. Be kind Humble, gentle, patient. I know y'all want to wipe that out of your Bible, but it's there. It says, get along with each other, forgive each other. If someone does wrong to you, forgive that person because the Lord forgave you. Do all these things, but most important, love each other. I love this because it says, love is what holds you all together in perfect unity. It's not thinking the same. It's not being a carbon copy of each other that brings you into unity. It's me making a decision to love you no matter what you think. You making a decision to love me no matter what I think. And then let God do the changing. Let God do the revealing. I can tell you this. My husband can come to me and he can try to tell me all the changing I need to do. And just because he's my husband, I'll have these immediate walls that go up and go, oh, you ain't not telling me what to do right? We all do that. Nobody's going to tell me. And we spend most of our time arguing over that, but this is the thing. That's not what makes us in unity, but we have to think the same on We don't always have to think exactly the same way. The Bible says, I just have to commit to loving you. You have to commit to loving me. So on your workplace, at your workplace, instead of trying to make all your co-workers think exactly like you commit to loving them, let God do the changing in the world we live in with our crazy political system and political structure. I don't have to make you think like me for us to walk in unity. I just have to commit to love you no matter what you think. You love me no matter what I think. And then let God make up the difference. It beats us fighting with one another. It beats the world looking at us like crazy people. 
because the church can't even get it together. Not here at celebration. We're choosing to love one another. Love isn't this God kind of love. This God kind of love is not a feeling. And I think that sometimes we think, well, I don't feel like loving them. It's not a feeling. It's a decision we make. It's a decision we make to tap into the love of God on the inside of us and to respond in a different way. For us to respond in a different way. In 1 John chapter 3, verse number 18, he says, my dear, my dear children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. Let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. Can I tell you, as soon as you leave this place today, as soon as I say amen, even right now, somebody around you might be irritating the heck out of you and you're practicing it right now. But it's, as soon as you leave this place, you're going to have an opportunity to practice love. And if you do, it'll be a game changer. How do we practice love? Bible talks about how love changes things. How do we practice love? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says love is patient and kind. What does that mean? It means it's active in doing good. It's pleasant. It's gracious. As opposed to being hard and harsh and bitter. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. It actually wants people to get ahead. It's not boastful. It's not proud or puffed up, treating other people arrogantly. It's not rude. We all know what rude is, right? Yeah, it's not rude. It doesn't demand its own way or insist on its own rights. It's not irritable, touchy, rough, or hostile, but it's graceful under pressure. It keeps no record of being wronged. That's what this God love does. Keeps no record of being wronged. Instead, it erases resentment. It doesn't rejoice in injustice. That means it doesn't find satisfaction in the shortcomings or failures of other people and spread an evil report about it. But it rejoices when the truth wins out. It says love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful. It means it never gives up on people. It endures through every circumstance, meaning it remains loyal to the end. So when the Bible says let's not just talk about love, let's practice real love. So in the truth of this scripture, when I'm patient and when I'm kind, when I'm dealing with the relationships in my life, then I'm practicing love. When I have the opportunity to brag about myself and boast myself up and I don't, I'm practicing love. When I have the opportunity to put you down, but I don't, I build you up instead. I'm practicing love. Bible says here, let's not talk about love. Let's practice love. How do we do that? Well, you're going to go to work tomorrow. Some of you work in a hostile environment. You have co-workers who are constantly judging or putting you down or talking about you. How do I practice love there to see it become a game changer on my job? Well, when someone talks about me, it's super easy to talk right back about them. When they start pointing out my flaws, it's easy for me to start pointing out their flaws When my daughter used to do this when she was like three, she used to, um, when, if she didn't like something, she knew she really, she knew better than to really talk back to me or say something like really offensive back to me because she knew she'd be in trouble. But if I said something to her that she didn't like, she'd say, well, because she couldn't say her R's very well. She'd go, well, I don't like your hail. 
I don't like your hair. That's what she would say. Because it's easy. It's the na- it's our nature that when someone says something negative about us, we want to say something negative back to them. And it's really easy for you to do that on your job. But what would practicing love look like? Oh, when they're all talking about you or talking negatively, that, you in, that you're kind back, that you're patient back, that you don't say negative things back to them, that you find something good to say, to speak into them. Well, I don't want to do that. that. That's no fun. And besides that, if I do that, they'll keep doing it back to me. Listen, love never fails. Love is your secret weapon. You want to keep going around that track expecting re- different results at work, then go right ahead. But listen, you have a superpower on the inside of you that if you'll tap into that love of God, the kindness of God, the patience of God on the inside of you, and you respond differently on purpose, it may not change tomorrow. It may not change next week. But within a few months, I can tell you who's going to get the promotion. You are. Who's going to get the advancement? You are. Why? Because you've been tapping into that superpower ability of love on the inside of you. In your marriage relationship. Oh, it's easy when our spouse is at, you know, when you're at conflict with your spouse to, to say something smart back or to be rude back. You know, I wish I would have learned this way back in, in the beginning of my marriage. I wish I would have understood what it meant to truly practice love because there were plenty of times that we were in conflict and there were plenty of times where, you know, I refused to sleep on the couch when we were fighting and he refused to sleep on the couch. So I slept on my far edge, almost falling off and he slept on his far edge, almost falling off the bed because God forbid we touch when we're mad, right? And I'm huffing, (coughs) what's wrong? (coughs) Right? I wish that I would have applied the truth of love way back then, because all I can say is after applying the word of God, pulling out love when I wanted to be offended, pulling out love when I wanted to say something smart back, because I can't, nobody can push your buttons like your spouse can, by the way, but it causes destruction. There's plenty of people probably in this room. It's sad to say, but it's true. You probably would still be married had we been able to apply the truth of the word of God in our life. But can I tell you something? It doesn't matter where you are in your life, what relationship you're in right now. It can all be better because you tap into the love of God. It's easy just to lash out of our flesh. So easy. I do know now, you know, there's still plenty of opportunities where he tries to boss me around, tries to tell me what to do. But instead of lashing out like I would in the past and causing conflict or, or, or a division, you know, I tap into the grace and the love and the mercy of God and love is cultivated. Unity is cultivated. We don't see everything eye to eye, but we don't have to. I have to commit to love him. He commits to love me and there's unity in my home. Same way when it comes to your kids. I know sometimes, man, when your kids hit those teenage years, they want to make decisions on their own. You can raise your kids right. And, you know, Nick tells a story in our, about our family. Um, you know, him growing up, he's very open, you know, with him himself talking about how he just rebelled against what was going on in our lives, you know. He wanted to do things his own way. And as a mom, it's real easy to want to grab him and continue to force him into my box and force him to think like me and force him to believe like me. And it would have been real easy for me to grab him, want to put him in a room and lock him up until he came to his right mind somehow. But when you make that decision as a parent, I'm going to love you no matter what. You know how you're raised. You know what we're putting into you. 
You choose this, you choose that. But I can tell you one thing, I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to be kind to you no matter what. I'm going to believe the best no matter what. I'm going to be generous and kind no matter what. I'm going to love you no matter what because that's what God has done with us. And I can tell you as you apply love in your life in every single relationship, it'll turn around and it'll get better. Because the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 8, as we close. It says this, love never fails. Love never fails. Love never fails. Yeah, but you don't know my marriage. Love never fails. But I don't want to be the first one to do it because if I start showing love and I don't get it and respond, then that love never fails. Love never fails. Yeah, but you don't know my kids. The Bible didn't write any exceptions in there. Love never fails unless... You know, your boss is crazy. Love never fails unless you marry the wrong person. Love never fails unless God somehow mixed up in heaven and gave you the wrong kid. Love never fails. Love never fails. And if we as believers will tap into that superpower of love on the inside of us on purpose. Can I tell you, this is not, I feel it and I don't feel it. It's an on purpose. It's an on purpose game changer. Think about the relationships in your life. Think about the relationships that are kind of causing you the most stress or the most tension. I want to encourage you. Apply love to it. When you normally would lash out in anger, be kind. When you normally would want to one-up the person, be kind. Don't be rude. Be generous. Apply love. Don't do it. Speak life. And every relationship that you're thinking of right now will change again because love never fails. Let's go ahead and bow our our heads and close our eyes in this place. You know, I want to give you the opportunity to receive Jesus. If you never have received the gift that God so generously gave us because of his love for us, this love we're talking about, You can't truly love until you first receive love. So I want to give us all the opportunity this morning to receive that gift of love. If you're in this place and you've never given your life to Christ, or maybe you've served him for a time and you ran away, I can tell you this, that God's not mad at you, that God loves you no matter what. God's arms are open to you. He wants to show himself strong to you. He wants to reestablish his love in your heart. So we're all going to pray this prayer together. You know, every day I surrender my life to God. Every day I pray this prayer. God, I give this life, my life to you. God, this day, not my will, but your will today. So even if you have prayed this prayer before and given your life to Christ before, it's not a bad thing to rededicate your life often because we all get off course. Sometimes we all start doing things our own way, according to our own agenda. So let's all just pray this prayer together. And if this is your first time praying it, just mean it with all your heart. I can guarantee you this one thing. When you open up your heart to God, he freely and willingly and excitedly comes in. Let's pray. Father, together, thank you for the gift of your son, for the love you are to me. I open up my heart today to you and to your love. Change me from the inside. 
and help me to love like you. Father, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice. God, just like Paul prayed, God, he asked, God, that they would grow in the revelation of your love. God, that they would know how deep, how wide, how vast your love and how unconditional your love is for them. God, those of us that have been broken and wounded by relationships and we feel, man, just so unloved. God, I ask that we experience, not just know with our head, but experience in our heart, God, the overwhelming love that you have for us. And God, in response to the love that you have for us, God, today we make a decision to love. God, we refuse to be haters. We choose to love. And God, I just ask by the help of the Holy Spirit that you would help us. God, when we're getting ready just to respond out of a, of a flesh response, God, that we tap into that superpower of love on the inside of us. And God, that we start seeing it change the world around us. God, I believe that as marriages, husbands and wives start tapping into on purpose love no matter what. God, that unity and restoration and wholeness and forgiveness, God, that their, their marriage is better than ever before. God, relationships with our children, God, with our parents, God, would be restored as we choose to walk in love, no matter what. God, on our job, the stress of the boss and the coworkers, God, the opposition maybe that we sense there, God, as we on purpose operate in love instead of excuses, we operate in love instead of retaliation. God, I believe that we start seeing your favor, advancement on our jobs, peace on our jobs. God, I believe that you're making ways where there seems to be no way. God, it's a game changer. God, thank you for your love and the ability to love. God, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, please visit celebrationchurch.cc.